Oh, a newly bred couple just moved to town, a regular husband and wife who left the big city to find the quiet life, WandaVision. She's a magical gal in a small town locale. He's a hubby who's part machine. How would this duo fit in in and fulfill all by sharing a love you've never seen? WandaVision. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there! I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. I'm incredibly excited today. I have an amazing special guest with me. You may know him from his fantastic reactions on his channel, The Montyverse. It's Pat Brifamonte. Pat, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Kelly. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm super excited for today's topic. Start at the beginning. WandaVision, the 2021 Marvel nine-part limited series taking place after the events of Avengers Endgame. We see Wanda and Vision living in the suburbs. But is everything really as it seems? That's all the information I'm going to give you this time. Tale as old as time. So, Pat, today we're going to be talking about the 2021 Marvel Limited series, WandaVision. So just a big spoilers right at the top of the episode. If you haven't seen WandaVision, I think we're probably going to touch on Infinity War and Endgame a lot as well, because this is what's been um, after the results of that. And even maybe we might touch on a bit of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So just a big blanket spoiler warning. Pat, your channel is full of amazing content all over the geek sphere. So tell me, what's your history with Marvel in general, but particularly Scarlet Witch and Vision? Yeah, well, I've I've grown up reading comic books. I've been reading comic books since probably I could read, you know. So I have a pretty vast history with both like Marvel and DC Comics. I grew up reading superhero stuff. So I'm very familiar with Wanda and uh, Vision as characters. So I think what the the mcu is doing that the comics eventually did is they're fleshing them out a lot more so i, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that but yeah I, I do have somewhat of a of a history with these two characters and their and their love story in the comics so i'm excited to talk about that today as presented in the mcu with wandavision absolutely for me i try to avoid a lot of trailers and spoilers as much as possible nowadays mm-hmm. i try to go into a cinema now as blank as possible and same with the tv shows but it was so hard to dodge any of the material for this promo especially that black and white i love lucy shot and because this is what's coming out of endgame everyone's just so excited it's like peak what's going to happen how are they going to deal with the fallout because for how long was it, 12 years or so? We'd been leading to this point of the Thanos storyline. And so then where are they going to go next? What were your thoughts and feelings going into the series? Well, this this series in particular, there was such an excitement leading up to it because at this point in the world, we were, this was the first big break we've had from the MCU. We were originally supposed to get Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision like a year earlier, but because of the pandemic, they actually pulled back Falcon and Winter Soldier. So WandaVision was our first, uh, basically the experiment, the Disney Plus experiment, our first taste of Marvel on Disney Plus. So to start with something so unique and so special, like a show that this was, was very gutsy because it wasn't, their, their plan was to start with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I understand why that is more in line with the tone of the MCU movies. 
Whereas this is something very different. This was a big, big risk, I think, for them to do. But I think so many people were missing Marvel content at that point because of, I think it was over a year gap between uh, Far From Home and WandaVision that I think we we were just like craving at, chomping at the bit to, to just get anything from the MCU. And, and this show, the first, because they released the first two episodes... And I and I think it split a lot of people because it's not what people were expecting. People wanted MCU. People wanted you know superhero stuff. But for me, I love I loved it. I, I loved the first two episodes. And and yeah, I I, I really right off the bat, this is one of my favorite Marvel Disney Plus series. So ha- getting to rewatch it for this was was an absolute joy. And I think it still holds up. It's it's so good. But that that's my general thoughts on the climate leading up to it. And I think. It divided a lot of people, but by the end, I think it turned a lot of people around. I think it got a lot of people on board. I think it absolutely touched on what divided people at the start is that it just wasn't, it's the expectations and just taking that real left turn. I'm a classic TV lover. So when I see that they're touching on I Love Lucy and Bewitched, I am all the way in and it's those classic sitcom tropes. I try to explain to my mom and dad, they've just re- they've just watched the series for the first time recently. They've in and out of the MCU, but they love Doctor Strange and they want to go see the new one. I'm like, please watch WandaVision first because it's just not going to make sense story-wise to go in so blind. And my dad's like, well, what's the the vibe? What's the theme? And I'm like, oh, he's like, is it like like Jessica Jones? I'm like, no. (laughs) He's like, then is it a comedy? And I'm like, something. I'm like, the best comparison I could give him was, I'm like, it's like Lost where you are putting those clues together, where everything isn't what it seems, where you get a bit of behind the scenes. I'm like, you just need to sit down and go for the ride is the best advice I can give anyone going into the series. It's my favourite part because you'll see. Yeah, I was talking to, um, well, you know my girlfriend, you know Nikki. I was talking to Nikki about this today when I was doing my rewatch. It's so hard to pick favorite episodes from this because it's hard to look at it like one season of television. It, it feels like a nine episode movie. It feels like a movie broken up into nine parts. And you can, there's definitely a three act structure, but there's so many things I love from so many episodes. It's hard to say like, that's clearly the best one or that's clearly the best one because there, there are really like two, I think huge tonal shifts in this series that I think come at, one is in episode four to me and one is at the end of episode seven that completely turned things around. So, so it's kind of always switching gears on you. And, and that aspect really keeps you on your toes and it just, it, it gives you such a unique series looking back on it. And, and, and I don't think that they've been able to do anything like that since. Well, it's so funny you touch on what's the favourite episode because I was having the same thing. I was like, this is like just a really long movie. Having a limited series, a nine-episode series, really benefited because I had a clear concept that they were able to work from. But I am going to ask the question, what do you think was your favourite or best episode of the series? Yeah, that's see, that was a great question. And I and I, I thought, I sat on it for a couple of hours and I was thinking about it and I was changing back and forth but I think when it comes down to it, just because of everything we see in the episode, I think my favorite episode of the series is episode eight, previously on. That is that is definitely 
it has my favorite moment in the entire series, which I won't spoil yet. But it it's such an interesting look back on on Wanda, who's a character that we've spent time with, but we haven't gotten to know in a way that like we have in this series. And to kind of see her past and to make you understand not only where she came from, but where she's potentially going was a very unique opportunity. And it, and it definitely goes back and it fills in the blanks. Like you said, like this series asks questions and this episode definitely answers a lot of those questions. But at the same time, it's a, it's such a entertaining character study of this poor woman's life, you know, and all the things that she experienced and just Elizabeth Olsen is so fantastic in that episode. I, I think it's her best one, which is saying something because I think she's phenomenal in every episode of this show. But you 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 feel so much in that episode. It gets you to feel things in a way that the MCU hasn't really done many, many times before that. Um and for for me, I don't I I because I, I know a lot of people say episode four, and, and I, I do love episode four. There are moments in episode four, which to me are some of my favorite in the MCU. But looking back objectively, th- this to me is one that I will go back and watch multiple times after this. It, it really is my favorite. I'm going to touch on episode four. Okay. So I want to get more into episode eight while we're on it. The other thing I want to touch on briefly is just how clever it is, the um, episode titles, and just how thematic they were able to make this sitcom trope be throughout, just all the smallest little details. And as you said, this is where we get the answers. This is where we get to see Wanda's home life and her dad opening the suitcase with the DVDs. And it's the DVDs of what the episodes that we've been based on. We see Bewitched, we see I Love Lucy, we see Malcolm in the Middle in that suitcase, and then Wanda loves Dick Van Dyke, and it just makes a lot of sense and as you said fleshes out that character a lot more and we get those moments this is the one where we get with the time stone yes when they're doing the experimentation yes yes so that is the most mcu-ish moments to me if that makes sense because we've been seeing all this infinity arc so to keep pulling from that just because we're finished with that phase doesn't mean we're done with seeing the fallout from it and seeing the repercussions of it all so seeing yeah. the effects of the time stones and the infinity stones still carrying on, I really appreciated that. And of course, we get so much Agatha Harkness, and we're going to touch on that character later because it just makes the show for me so much. But um, being able to flesh out and have those two really pair off and go through Wanda's psyche and go through those moments and push, yeah. I thought was really yeah heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, one thing I really like, I I, I call Phase Four the most comic booky of the phases so far because they're they're really introducing a lot of elements from the comic books throughout all of the projects whether it's so many of the costumes being comic book accurate this phase mm-hmm. and just how how they're not afraid of color and vibrance but one thing they did is they really introduced the fact that Wanda may have had some probability magic before gaining her powers quote unquote from the mind stone and that's something mm-hmm. introduced in this episode that I really loved as a comic book fan. I was I was floored when, when they did that because I really didn't expect them to introduce that aspect of her pre-getting her abilities. But they kind of hint like, hey, that's why you and your brother survived this long. Like you willed that into, like you made that happen. Like the reason why you and Pietro survived those experiments and no one else did is because you did that. Well, and that's a nice way to then move forward 
in the MCU is that Wanda's had the powers before, that it's coming from within, and then, of course, we get at the end that she's becoming a Scarlet Witch. I had not realised throughout the whole MCU we had not used that term very much. You know, it was always Wanda Maximoff because I guess we'll get into it when we talk about Wanda as a full-fledged character more. Um, we, We know from the comics what her lineage is, so to see a little bit more of that coming out or paying homage that I really appreciate in this episode as well. It's very, it's a very unique way to give a character's origin because we're, we're used to in the comic book world, we're used to having these big origin movies where it's like, everything is kind of like fall, but rise, you know, big heroic moments. And then Wanda's origin. There's not a lot of heroic moments there. There's a lot of tragedy, a lot more tragedy than most other heroes in the MCU. So I, I liked having that window in, into the the mind, the, the emotions of, of Wanda. And it really helps you to understand the character moving forward. And I think you need that for where she ends up. But but I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> Is there anything else in this episode you'd like to touch on? Uh, the visuals. The visuals are great. I mean, like you said, we'll talk about Agatha later. Because um, what's not to love about Catherine Hahn in this series? But... The, the visual in in the one scene that you talked about, the lab scene where she's seeing the future essentially of herself as the Scarlet Witch, that those are some of the, the most vibrant, beautiful visuals in the MCU, I think. And and just the, the constant like dark, I just, you know what? It's just a really great episode. Look-wise, lighting-wise, I think it's, it, it definitely feels different from the rest of the show. The, the scenes with Vision, I, I don't want to spoil this because this is my favorite moment, but but when they're watching like Malcolm in the middle in the room uh, and you kind of start to see the blossoming of their relationship as you see fully developed in Infinity War, we never got that. You kind of see this natural chemistry that the two have. I liked seeing that because that's a complaint a lot of people had. Like they, we go from Civil War into Infinity War and they've been dating. And now this shows you kind of the genesis of that relationship. And he was really the one who was there when she needed someone and he was the one that cared for her when she lost everything again, you know? So the scenes like that, I love. And then you transition from that, from the blossoming of their relationship to her having to see them dissecting visions corpse, essentially at the sword base and just the sheer terror. Like even, even, even me knowing that it's fake and knowing that even inside the MCU, it's, it's a synthesis, it's a synthesoid body. There's so much like darkness there in that scene. It's very dark for the MCU just to see them essentially dissecting this corpse, which is also something that happens in the comics. That that's that entire sequence is almost ripped directly from panels from the Avengers comic book series. So to see that in live action, that was that was pretty neat as well. But yeah, it's it's a great episode. Yeah, it's it's funny because we know, as you said, like the visions are synthesoid, and what this series also does really well is showing the parts of vision that make him human. Because obviously, we get white vision. We can touch on that that later. Sorry, we keep saying we'll touch on it later, but there's so much good stuff to get into. Really. Um, So it does feel like a human body being dissected on that table. I couldn't get the image of Exodia out of my head though, because I sort of (laughs) broke him down into the five parts, and it took me a while. I'm like, what is this reminding me of? Like, oh, Exodia. but yes, just the the grief that Elizabeth Olsen is able to portray throughout this episode is phenomenal. I'm going to flip it now and talk about what I think was the most memorable to me, which is quite funny because it's not focusing on wonder or vision. It's it's episode four, and we interrupt this program, 
we're getting the previously on and we're seeing that Monica Rambeau has been ejected from, from the hex. And so this is our first look into what is really happening behind the scenes because we've had these three sitcom um, episodes so far. What is happening? Okay, I'm not sure. And then this is that big cliffhanger that we're left on. So we're picking up from that. But what I really like is that they don't go straight into it. We get Monica's backstory. And another thing I've really been enjoying about this phase of the MCU is that we're seeing actual fallout from a normal person's perspective of what is happening in these big MCU events. So in things like um, Hawkeye, we're getting to see people who are affected from the Battle of New York. And in this one, we're actually seeing people who are affected by the blip, how chaotic that hospital opening scene is and how effective it would be that you've just been away for this big chunk of time and to have to come back and be reintroduced into society, how difficult that would be. So I, I like that side of it. Of course, seeing Dr. Darcy Lewis and Agent Jimmy Wu again, always appreciate having Jim from the office and the MCU. Yeah, of <laughs> had to, low-hanging fruit, had to go there. Denny's um, is a crime, Jim. <laughs> so um, seeing smaller characters be reintroduced to the MCU yeah. is what I think grounds it a lot more. When It's not always about the big superheroes. It's this through line, and that's what is making the MCU such an effective and working universe is that they're paying attention to these smaller parts that are acting like thread lines and making you feel invested. So when you're seeing these characters pop up, oh, I remember such and such. It's good to see that continuity that we would see in the comics and things like that. We would see these characters pop up again and again and flesh out the world. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on this episode? Just, just so I could just connect what you just mentioned, because that to me, not only did they take two side characters, but they two they took two side characters who were primarily the butts of the joke side characters, and they turned them into actual human beings, like like Jimmy Woo. The transition from Ant Man and the Wasp, which I love Ant Man and the Wasp, um, but the transition from that Jimmy Woo to this Jimmy Woo, who's still the same person, he's still goofy, he's still practicing the card magic, but. He's good at his job. You see that he's very good at his job and he cares. And just that little panache to add to the, this character, it changes him so much in a lot of people's eyes because they they really endeared to him. And and Darcy, Darcy went from being like this shrill joke of a character in the first Thor movie, like this just person who was there for extra credit. Now she's just as accredited as Jane and Selvig. And she helped so much during the series. And I really like because I was I was afraid when they entered when they announced that Darcy and Jimmy Woo were going to be in the cast that they were going to be this was going to be a jokey series and they were going to do sitcommy stuff because both of them were uh, sitcom actors, but the fact that they didn't and they were not barely a part of any of the sitcom stuff was such a great play on expectations and I really liked that. The opening, one of my favorite moments in the MCU, by far the. Cut to black into Monica reverse uh, blipping in that hospital room. And episode four of WandaVision to me is how you endear us to a character that's going to be important later on in 30 minutes or less. Because I love by the end of this episode, I was way more sold on Monica Rambo than I think I was Carol Danvers by the end of Captain Marvel. Good point. I- I think I was more endeared and and rooting for Monica 
by the end of this episode than I was to a lot of even a lot of other characters in the MSU. Just because they put they that gut punch of her finding out uh, about her mother, what was to me to me it spoke to me because at the time I, I had a mother who was who was uh, who had cancer, so putting myself in her shoes, it was such a brilliant way to show us that yeah we won in Endgame we won, but this is the cost of winning. It it wasn't a flawless victory. And while the MCU has done that before, in like something like Civil War, where they show you all the casualties, this was this was different because it's not it's not just something you could like rebuild or fix. It is it's a it's a costly victory that we had at Endgame. And th- between this and the scene with Yelena and Hawkeye, I think they're doing such a great job of showing us like these unique takes on the blip because we saw it one way in Endgame, but now we're seeing it this other way where, where we have people coming back and, and, and seeing that the world they knew is completely different. Everything is turned upside down. So that I really love. I love kind of this episode was basically essentially like, Hey, this could happen later on in the MCU, the episode, but done in a way that didn't detract you from the story. It enhanced the story. Like it, it like, Sword was introduced, and we ha- we were reintroduced to Monica and Jimmy Woo and Darcy, but in a way that pushed this story forward. And I, that's the the kind of Easter eggs and storytelling and and that I appreciate because it's essentially like you're introducing elements, like you said, in a comic book that are maybe won't be important now, but it'll be important ten issues later. You know, so this episode was the one that really got people back on track with this series people that weren't a fan of the sitcom stuff with the first three episodes they're like all right i'm back in this is the mcu and and this was definitely the first mcu-ish episode of the entire series so i agree with that and in sentiments it's a faster pace it's a lot of fun the character interactions are great there's a lot of great humor involved but there's so much great little stuff too like just that when they're all talking and they're and they're doing what we basically do on the internet. We're like, hey, who would win in a fight, Scarlet Witch or, or Captain Marvel? Like that was fun. And then you have Monica go, yeah, I don't want to talk about Captain Marvel. And just that little mm. tease of what's to come, what was so interesting, and it makes her character so much more interesting because you're like, yeah, your mother was dying, her best friend was dying. Where was she? She was in space. So yeah, maybe you do have a little chip on your shoulder um, about that. So. Just these, just those little moments were so good in this episode. But yeah, an, another really great one. This is an episode where this is the lost comparison that I was giving my parents because I'm very grateful that by the fourth episode, the basic halfway point, they are at least answering some of the questions that they had been setting up. So they had the amazing radio scene with Jimmy Woo coming through with Help Me Rhonda and it's Wanda who's doing this to you. I love that moment. That is one of the moments that hooked me in the series. So seeing the behind of that, seeing Darcy being the one that was writing notes when the TV panned out from the first episode, seeing the drone, the colours, things like that, and then we're getting to be able to pay off those small things while pushing major plot forward because then we're finding out what is S.W.O.R.D., because my partner, he reads the comics as well. He's like, is that, is that sword? Like when he saw the logo, he's like, no, ran to his shelf, picked up X-Men comics and was like, it's this, it's this. <laughs> like, it was so excited. So being able to bring more of that content that we haven't seen 
in the MCU so far, and that is maybe not obscure, but a, like I hadn't heard of it. But so if, it's it's very if you know you know, and if you don't know, you're going to be introduced to it and you're going to love it. So I think that's why this episode in particular is just so very memorable to me. Yeah, and it, not only that, but this is the first like we talked about there being two essentially two like turning points in the series. And they're both of these episodes, realistically, like <laughs> episode four and the end of episode seven, episode eight, where it's like, hey, this is the reveal of like what's been going on so far. And this is what's going on in the real world. And then episode seven and eight are like, yeah. And then there's also this that's been going on too, by the here's way. Here's the backstory you need to know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> here's the backstory. Here's like the quote unquote villain. Um <laughs> of the series if you want to call Agatha that but yeah those, and so it's interesting that we both kind of picked those two pillar episodes Very. yeah so we've talked about some favorite episodes I messaged and I said I don't think an episode can completely capture what makes a series so great because there are some great individual scenes in maybe yeah. not uneven episodes but not what I would want to put forward as the best so that's where I was coming for, from with that. So let's break it down. What are just some really great scenes from the series? My favorite scene by far is the scene of Wanda and Vision in Avengers Compound. And it's the, the infamous, what is grief if not love persevering scene? Beautiful quote. Um, if you've ever lost someone, that that definitely hits home for you. Not only that, but it's such a beautiful moment. And an otherwise dark episode um and otherwise kind of straightforward sitcom series such a profound and introspective moment that really when i watched the episode i know a lot of other people that kind of just took a step back and they're like wow huh like that that was just a really beautiful scene to me and and then to add on to that scene with kind of like the blossoming of the wanda vision romance which is become so important to the mcu at this point that that was really really lovely to me. Then of course you know we can't talk about this series without talking about the infamous ending scene of episode five mm-hmm. with uh, Evan Peters as Pietro? Question mark. I'm so happy. I've, I've got that in my notes as well, and I'm like I don't <laughs> want to touch on it, but I think I think it, it does count as a favorite scene moment. Please give me your thoughts and feelings on this. It's it's so weird because this series. As someone who like combs through every inch of the episode and looks for all the Easter eggs and and I do video breakdowns on this stuff, so uh, I'm I'm looking for everything to kind of this series kind of taught us this is what it taught us to both what to expect and also to temper our expectations a little bit in the Disney Plus era of the MCU. But having Evan Peters show up as essentially like a version of Pietro is what they were implying was a moment that essentially broke the internet and it had so many people questioning everything like what like what is going on is he is he actually quicksilver it was a way because epi- at, at episode five you already had episode four which answered a lot of questions a lot of big questions like what is going on where are we like what's really happening and then they take episode five and the ending of episode five is essentially like a misdirect. It's like, hey, we're going to give you this. Focus on this for an episode and don't pay attention mm-hmm. to anything else. Don't ask the bigger questions because we don't want you to know that yet. And it was such a and it was such a great way to kind of get us 
to to ask different questions than the questions we should have been asking at that point and to kind of help propel this plot forward. And that, of course, comes off of the back of Vision continuing to like investigate what's going on. And you're like, did Wanda do this? Like, did Wanda pull? Like, because Wanda has been able to kind of do all of these things throughout the series, like make the credits start rolling. And, you know, essentially, okay. like, cut that is my favorite scene. So I want to come back to the Evan Peters, but let's touch on that very briefly because okay. my favorite individual scene by far is the <laughs> end of the 80s themed episode. Vision is heavily questioning Wanda what is happening. Wanda just decides this conversation is over and we hear the sitcom laugh track and we see those credits start rolling. And usually that's the end of our episode. That's it. It's like a still frame to end music plays, whatever. But the argument continues as the credits is rolling. And I just, as a lover of classic TV, I thought that was brilliant. When I rewatched it, I'm like, that by far is just the most clever thing I've seen in the series. I thought it was genius. No, it's great. Like the like the TV stuff is so great. Like the ending of episode seven, when they're kind of done with the gimmick of the series, which is like the sitcom, each mm. episode gimmick, like each episode ends with please stand by. And then at the mm-hmm. end of episode seven, that's gone because you're out mm-hmm. of the TV world now. Like this is, you're just, this is what Wanda's really been doing. So I, I love like the credit scene. It was such a, t- and even the scene when they come out of the kitchen and them having that argument mm-hmm. in, in the den, in the living room was so tense like, I think just those three moments, like the credits rolling to that argument, to her answering the door was such a fantastic ending because it's such an escalation. You know, the credits roll and then you have this escalating fight and then the door rings and then you're like, that's it. That's where you're going to leave us. Like what just happened? It was so, it was executed so well. What a cliffhanger. Like they knew what they were doing. They knew that this was going to be the talking point because this is the roundabouts of the time where we've just had Disney by Fox. Yes. So we know that we can have a lot of these characters possibly come into it because we've had this big, long thing about rights. And if you're coming from the comic books, you know that Quicksilver and Wanda, Magneto's children, things like that. They are not, um, they're the mutants, which is terms we haven't been able to use in the MCU. So to see the actor, because we all remember 2014 when we had like two Quicksilvers at once, it was going to be, it was very confusing. So to have what I guess more people call the more successful Quicksilver from Days of Future Past and Age of Apocalypse come over, this was like, are we breaking down the door? Are we going to start having the big influx? Are we introducing the X-Men side of things? Are we going to be able to be merging universes? What is happening? So then to see it all be a giant fake out was, oh, I, I, it's gutsy. And, yeah, I can't believe they did it. Rewatching it. What are your thoughts, though? Because when I rewatched it, I just did not have the same impact when I saw him, when I saw Wanda open the door and it's there because I'm like, oh, it's a fake. Yeah. Here's the thing, uh, the 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 episode five ending didn't have as much impact, but I wasn't as upset by the Ralph Boner joke, by the by the essentially <laughs> the genitalia joke um, that has become. Because watching it over the first time, I was like, really, all that for for just a yeah. joke like that, for like a crash joke. I I think part of why why the impact not only if it, of it being Evan Peters, but just it being Pietro in general, because up until that point. We were speculating if Pietro was going to show up at all. Like we were, we were wondering if Aaron Teller Johnson's Pietro was going to show up because yeah. Vision, Vision's dead, but Vision's here. So 
PH and up, up until that point, Pietro kept getting mentioned. Like in episode three, you get that mention of Pietro by Wanda, you know, like, oh, I had a brother. And then she talks to her kids about her brother. So they're, they kept reinforcing the fact that Pietro existed and that Wanda still thinks about him often. So that when he does show up, you're wondering, like, did she do that? Like, did yeah. she bring him? Like, like, and if she did do that, is she strong enough to pull people from the multiverse? Because this cool. series, yeah, because this series is essentially telling you, like, yeah, Wanda's strong. Like, oh, Wanda's yeah. ridiculously strong. She's a mega level for sure. Yeah. You ain't never had a friend like me. Let's dive deeper into Wanda. What are your thoughts on the character in this series on the whole? My thoughts on Wanda. I think that this series is the perfect supervillain origin story. <laughs> and I think I'm, I think people are either going to understand that or they're going to be very upset by that. Wanda as a character is very relatable and her pain is very relatable. But I, I think the common misconception, because if they're just to talk on, is it okay if we talk about Multiverse of Madness? Let's talk. We can let's touch on any of the that. characters. So from her origins in Age of Ultron all the way to Multiverse, let's just talk, talk about Wonder in general. Yeah, because because I think people have to really look at the journey of this character mm. where we first meet her in Age of Ultron. She essentially lost both of her parents to terrorism. She then essentially became a child soldier. She was experimented on by Hydra and Baron Von Strucker. And when we meet her, she she is on the side she's on Ultron's side but she then then becomes on the side of good and then the immediate next movie that we see her in the people that she thinks are the good guys turn their back on her and essentially keep her prisoner so she this poor girl who becomes a woman is is going from one terrible situation to another people treat her poorly everywhere she goes she loses everyone she loves and she's forced to create this little safe space for herself because she's the, one of the most powerful beings in the entire universe. And she creates just out of sheer, you know, emotional trauma. She creates this safe haven for herself. But in doing so, she inadvertently causes the suffering of an entire city's worth of people. So you're... you're so while the series does do a great job of kind of putting you in the shoes of Wanda and, and seeing you how seeing how much this character is lost, I, I think you have to understand by the end of this series, I don't think she learns her lesson. I think she just realizes she has to go bigger. I think she realizes <laughs> she she yeah Westview was a mistake. Uh, all of these people suffer, but hey, I'm the Scarlet Witch now. I can probably <laughs> do something better i could do this better um so yeah i think wanda i don't see the less I, I see wanda as a product of suffering and mm. a lot of suffering at that and i i don't think she learned the lesson that everyone thinks she learns because i don't think there was any emotional anchor like like she has this really tender moment with monica at the end of the series but i don't think monica Monica fully understands what she has done up up until that point. So while Monica kind of says like, yeah, you gave up, they'll never know what you gave up for them. But you have to really ask like, Monica, do you know what she did to them? <laughs> do you really mm -hmm. know? Like you have a sense of it, 
because you were there for like a day. But I don't think you truly understand what this person has done. So I think Wanda's journey is is a dark journey and and mm. a, a journey that's really defined by suffering so far. I don't think her story's over. I, I definitely oh, I think that. Yeah, no. I I don't think that's I don't think we've seen the last of, of Wanda Maximoff, but up until this point, I I think that all roads were leading to where we find her in multiverse of madness. And this series, more than anything, kind of hints at that, shows us that. I very much agree. Uh, in my notes, I've just got wow. Just wow is the first thing I think of with this character. Like Elizabeth Olsen knocks it out of the park yes. in every episode, every different sitcom style and trope. She is all in and committed and making making the material even better than what it is. Like she excels. Plus, I just got to echo what you say, what we go through with her journey, living out the life she always wanted, being married, having children, thinking her brother's back and then losing it all, all over again. It's it's a tragic, heartbreaking character and we're still seeing the repercussions of that now. So I've, if you're coming from the comics, I was always very surprised when they did Age of Ultron and we were getting Scarlet Witch and it was going to be she's going to join the Avengers because we know that this is I'm mo- most familiar with House of M and No More mm-hmm. Mutants. That's my version of the Scarlet Witch I've got in my head. I know she can toy the line between hero, villain, and probably lives in that anti-hero doing what she wants for her own benefit a, a lot of the time. So I'm not surprised that this is the journey we've gone on with this character. I think if you don't have that background and you think it's a hero and all, oh, it's it's maybe a Daenerys Game of Thrones feeling you're getting all over again where it's yeah. a bit of a sharp turn, but I don't think it is. I think they're layering it really, really well. And I was looking in that last episode as well because I remember the scene of her in the woods in her house and you yeah. see her out the front as the illusion and then but behind the scenes it's her learning the dark hold i remember that but i couldn't remember the leading up to it what how the actual because that's the, the um end credit scene obviously but how the yeah. actual episode ended so it did end on this high note with her going off but she changes into that scarlet witch costume and she flies off so i do agree that it does look like she's learned a lesson and that we may be getting it for good, but no, they left it very ambiguous. I would even counter that, that it doesn't yeah, even end on the high note that people thinks, think it does. Cause yeah. I even like looking back at my notes from when I first watched the episode all the way back uh, a couple of years ago, when it first aired last year, uh, I have like, she, she tells uh, Monica that she doesn't understand her new powers, but she will. Mm. Like, and that, and that's, that's like her saying, like, I, I learned nothing because <laughs> she learns that she has to let go of vision. I think she does learn that lesson, but I don't think she's ready to let go of her kids yet. She does let go of this version of her kids. But if you see her walking back into Westview and she walks from her house to the middle of town square and she's got her hood up and her cardigan and she's looking at the townspeople, give her these dirty looks. She's mm-hmm. looking back at them like, I'm not sorry. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> like it's it's not a remorseful look she's giving them. It's like, a, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Like, I just lost my kids. Like, leave me alone. Like it. So I, I don't think like I think she's people say that the Darkhold has been corrupting her this entire time. I don't think so. Yeah. I think she went to the Darkhold looking to br- looking to continue what she started in Westview, but on a scale that wouldn't draw so much attention. 
that wouldn't that's why she went to this yes. secluded place and she's been practicing and we know she's been practicing for multiverse of madness so yeah i i think there was never a moment of her going yeah i learned my lesson guys uh, uh i'm gonna go off and and run because she leaves she she faces no culpability for what she did True. She runs away from all culpability just because Monica lets her. She doesn't even she repents not even a little bit. She's not sorry for because she tortured these people. She kept their kids locked in attics for days. When they have that scene of them confronting her, I think she is a bit remorseful because she does go to let them go. Yeah. She does know that what she's doing is wrong on some level, but I think you're right where the motivations is changing now. Now she has kids. Now she has something to live for again. And Agnes has opened the door to her with the dark hold and with, and I find it weird. Agnes says you're a Scarlet Witch, but then we get the term the Scarlet Witch. So I'm not sure if that's unintentional and I'm looking too deep into it. If you can be multiple Scarlet Witches or what, what like the MCU is trying to push with that. Do you have any thoughts on that? In the MCU, it's more of a title. That, it's more of a title. They're treating it more like uh, a prophesized title than it than it mm. is than it was just a moniker in the comics. It was just her her name, her character name in the comic books. But I I think she uses a Scarlet Witch maybe because she might know. I don't think there's going to be more than one. I don't think we'll see a past one. But the MCU is painting it like it could be a legacy title or it could be there could be multiples out there. But I think Wanda is going to be our Scarlet Witch for the foreseeable future. Uh, But as far as the comics concerned, I don't I'm not 100 percent sure if there's been other Scarlet Witches. But to my knowledge, I don't believe so. Let's uh, let's touch on Vision because Paul Bedney was such inspired casting all the way back to Iron Man and Jarvis to see this is another character that I wouldn't have pegged all the way back in 2008, becoming such a major player all these years later. So it's great when you get to cast an actor that's always great in things but maybe hadn't had that as much leading opportunity. Like he's always been great in the side roles when you think of like a Knight's Tale or a Beautiful Mind. So then to have him in this purely voice role that ends up becoming this great thing all these years later it's just amazing. What are your thoughts on Vision? Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen really got to play this series, but in the opposite of that, so did Paul Bettany. These are two people that portrayed these very stoic and serious, dark, you know, brooding characters. And now you, the first episode is just like wacky sitcom hijinks <laughs> and to see Paul Bettany, who who played a very sto, who played Jarvis, who's essentially an AI, and then Vision, who is a synthesoid, to have him come up and probably give the most human performance oh, of the yeah. entire series. Just he really, his love of of Wanda, just shows you that these two have this this romance, this love that that's eternal that that will proceed life and death and multiverses to me anyway it's because this because he plays multiple visions he plays of course the hex vision and then he plays white vision who is the rebuilt main vision of the mcu and he also and we do get flashbacks of him as vision so he's he's firing on all cylinders paul bettany uh and i just love vision because i just love that goofy dad energy he brings to the role oh yeah oh yeah yeah and 
I think that it's such a welcome change. And uh, the two of them together, the, their chemistry is, is so phenomenal that it, it carries this series all the way through until the end. And you don't question a beat at all. Like you believe all of it. Like you believe a witch and a, and a synthesoid could get married and have kids. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, and it was beautiful. And it was because of both of them. It was because of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. They're just, I can't sing their praises enough in this series. What I like that they did with Vision is that it's happening to him as much as it's happening to the town. So we're seeing him really push forward and unravel the plot line. He's the one that is picking up something's not right. He's the one that's tapping into the minds. When you get those moments when the townspeople break, like, please, I have a brother. Are they okay? Oh, it's heartbreaking and it's just so, what is going on here? When he goes to the edge of town and everyone's just moving in that slow motion because the hex isn't working as well, like that's maybe the limit of Wanda's power, as impressive as it is. It's just so interesting that he's the one trying to unravel this mystery, but at the same time you get all those moments where he just loves his kids, loves his wife, goes to his job. You just get so many different facets of him and I just think it was fantastic. Yeah, and even in that scene of him kind of reaching out to the Hex, it just shows you how heroic, you know, he is as a, as a, as a character. He's willing to sacrifice himself, you know, just to help these straight, complete strangers, like who he's never even met. He's he's willing to, to die for these people. So I, I think that just having Vision be as good and innocent and loving as he was, was a great way to kind of, and of course, he's the, he's the audience surrogate for the series he's asking the questions we're asking and he's curious the way that we were curious so he got to fill that role as well and i just really loved seeing this version of vision i i just think that it was so smart of them to do this series because you know a lot of the romances in the mcu were more classic in the sense of like hey i'm the action hero you're the love interest outside of uh Steve and Peggy, which mm-hmm. I love, but this that's a different episode for a different day. <laughs> I, I, I think for them to, I think they normalize these two insanely powerful beings so much in this series to the point where you kind of see this epic romance between the two of them that we never really got to see before. It was always implied. It was always told and not shown. And now we got to see like how much these two characters love each other and why they love each other and why they're so perfect together and why what vision sacrifice in infinity war means and why it killed wanda so much to do what she did to him because we didn't even touch on that like there's so much between the two and the fact that she had to rip his Mm -hmm. the mind stone out of him only for thanos to come in and literally reverse time and kill him again the way darcy just explains that to vision like what why is Wanda doing all this because of that and like as an outside person she's explaining it quite bluntly and in her Darcy way but to actually think about what that would be to go through and then again be losing it all at by the end of the series I justified it's not the right words but I can understand those motivations a lot more like Wanda is not a weak person and and if I if I implied this when I talked about her uh, that's not the case. She has suffered more in her life than oh, yeah. any person should ever have to suffer. She suffered lifetimes in her young life. And yeah. And just she, vision was the one thing she wanted. He was the only thing she wanted. 
and she didn't get and she can't even have that. So this series does such a great job of just showing you that. We've touched on her briefly, but the other character that really stands out from the series, apart from Agatha, is uh, Monica Rambo, of yes. course. I enjoy the Captain Marvel MCU movies. Uh, it's been a character I've always enjoyed design-wise, but maybe didn't know so much of the comic history. So being introduced to Carol Danvers and Maria Rambo in the 90s, I thought was a good um, stepping stone for being able to launch more characters from that. So it's great to see a grown-up Monica Rambo and see that through line through and that we got that little Easter egg of uh, Photon and that was her mother's call sign. So And then now we're going to get this character. This is the most pumped up for a character I am going to see. It's like a new character. I am ready for some new blood in the MCU yeah. and I want to see this character push some storyline forward. What, did, what are some of your other thoughts on Maria? I mean, Monica. Monica to me, uh, like I tell this to Nikki all the time, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever loved a character in the MCU in such a short period of time as much as I loved Monica Rambo. I, I just instantly felt connection to her. That first episode made me so connected to her. And I'm so excited. Just, just like the little Easter eggs they planted in this series for her future. And, and we know that she's going to be showing up in the Marvels. And that movie I'm so excited for because... You have, on one end, you have Kamala Khan, who's going to be in Miss Marvel, and then you have Monica Rambeau, and then you have Carol in the middle, and Kamala Khan is an obsessive fangirl of Captain Marvel, <laughs> yes. and then you have this Monica Rambeau, who this show lets us, this series lets us know she's not the biggest fan of Carol right now, so <laughs> I'm really excited for that interplay between characters, and mainly because of Monica, because she is this character that has suffered like Wanda, but not nearly as much. So we're able to relate to her as a human before we meet her as a superhero. And I think that's such a great way to kind of get us hyped up for the character. She's charismatic. She's funny. She's serious. She's tough. She's, but she's empathetic. She's such a great, she's such a strong human being in the sense of she is all of these things, but she's not perfect. She's not a perfect mm -hmm. person. She has her flaws. She makes her mistakes. And I, I mean, I just, I really, really loved. That's probably my, outside of One Envision, that is my favorite character of the series, Monica. One song. I have but one song. Let's, uh, let's touch on the score and soundtrack. For me, when I heard that Robert Lopez and Chris Anderson Lopez signed on, I'm intrigued because being a big Disney fan, loving the Frozen soundtrack, I'm like, those are some big names to sign on for a series. What are you doing? Are you doing a musical episode? What is happening? Are you going to have some original songs? What's going on? The, we've talked about it so much, but the TV tropes are having the individual theme songs for each episode. That was what I was looking forward to the most from week to week is what theme of the episode are they going to do? So when it was, um, I think we got the first two episodes. So then for 70s, I'm brainstorming what it's going to be. When it's 80s, I'm brainstorming what it's going to be. And they just nail the tone and style of every single era. For me, it's the 80s one, the very overly saccharine family ties. They just nail what it was going on in the TV sphere at that time. So my jaw just dropped at that. And then, of course, we get the masterpiece that is Agatha all along. I have rewatched that on YouTube 
so many times. It is so catchy. I just, I think the music is is the cherry on top of the series. What do you think about this? I'm so glad you said the 80s opening because that is also my favorite. I have yeah. listened to that one on my phone, like while driving. I love that one so much. These openings, people say that Peacemaker was the first series that had an opening you can't skip. I argue no, it was WandaVision because yeah. all of these were so... Whether, whether it was the super saccharine and like uh, totally of the era opening of the first episode or, you know, the grunge, very 90s uh, opening of episode six or whether it's like the modern corporate 2000s opening of episode seven. Yes. Everything felt so of the time. And me, Easter egg hunting, I love just seeing all the influences from all of these different shows of the time, whether it was the Dick Van Dyke show or Bewitched or, you know, Malcolm in the Middle, Family Ties, just they drew so much. And that's why that's why I love the sitcom aspects of this series, because they they went all in on that, whether it was Elizabeth Olsen's acting and, and her being able to perfectly mimic uh, all of the mannerisms and uh, comedic timing of the era to these openings that are just so indicative of the time that they're made in it was just what a wild ride this show is like like watching it as a whole watching all nine episodes back to back to back it's such a wild ride it's such a fun fun show to binge watch and i think that's what made it that movie aspect as well is that now on the rewatch you can do more than the one episode a week and it really shows you the through line some of the critiques was that it was a bit disjointed but i just wholeheartedly disagree and the theme songs and the advertisements is the other thing i really love just those little bits and buzz they're putting in that just make it that little something special that i think no other marvel show has been able to replicate yeah and then because what's what's really cool is like looking back on it because we I watched each each of these episodes like four or five times when they first came out and I did a rewatch for fun a little while ago but watching it now like and and kind of analytically watching it and understanding that this is all Wanda's doing mm. it's interesting to kind of see how she does things like all like even the commercials which we thought which everyone was picking apart but they're essentially her like things from her life reflected back onto the people watching the hex and there's so many little Easter eggs. If you go back and you watch this for anyone, like I don't want to say everything cause I don't want to ruin the fun for anyone, but if you go back and you watch this series, keeping him like now knowing the full picture yes. of, you know, like Agnes is Agatha and Wanda is the one controlling the hex. If you go back on it with that in mind, you, you'll be rewarded so much because there you just, you'll just realize how much work was put into this show and how much thought was put into it. This is your badness level. We've been building up to her the whole episode. Agatha Harkness, or Agnes as she's known as the majority of the season. Not a character I was familiar with at all from the comics. So it's, again, it's like what I felt with Sword. Like I'm enjoying learning the new things that we're bringing from the comics and how they're making it work for the MCU. So this character is... The, a, a common critique I think we hear is that the MCU maybe hasn't been nailing the villains. Loki's obviously a standout. Um, I think that is a bit of an antiquated viewpoint and I'm trying to get myself out of it because I think we have been getting great villains recently. It's just that first phase, maybe first two phases, we weren't having strong villains. But now with Catherine Hahn, oh my good gracious, <laughs> with Agatha Harkness, this is a villain I've just loved so much, especially how manipulative she was throughout the whole, as you said, when you go back and rewatch the scene where she's in the car 
talking to Vision and you realise that that's her acting the whole time or that she's the one in the 80s episode, she's like, do you want me to take that again? Like she is pushing Wanda to the brink the whole way through. She is the puppet master. And it's just fantastic to see. And I didn't notice in that fourth episode when they're pulling all the townspeople's photos, she's the only one they do not touch on. They have no actress for that character there. So what are your thoughts on it was Agatha all along? The reason why I love the Agatha all along is because it, again, that was that was like the, a big flip. Like, oh wow, there is a villain in this series. Like, it's Agatha Harkness. Like, for me as a comic book character, hearing the name Agatha Harkness was awesome. I, th- I think we all like any comic book person kind of expected her to be Agatha Harkness because she is a character with so much history involving Wanda in the comic books. Uh, yeah. But to have her in the MCU, to for them to adapt a character as in, in I'll say interesting because comics are weird. So <laughs> I will say interesting as Agatha Harkness, who was a witch that survived the Salem witch trials and and all of these things, and introduce her into the MCU was so fun. And then to kind of give us a villain because the, the whole complaint the entire series was yeah, but who's the villain? Who's the villain? And then you're like, oh, here's your villain. She see she even killed the dog, but then you realize what like yeah she's messing with wanda and she's messing with vision but she really hasn't done anything outside of that she she like yeah wanda has to fight her in the end but only because she wants wanda's power Mm -hmm. she really hasn't done anything outside of that so yeah she's antagonistic but Mm -hmm. i don't think she's the villain of this show so i love listen i love Catherine hahn Catherine hahn and elizabeth olsen have such a great chemistry together they're they're oh, so yeah. great in the scenes they have when they're being wanda and agnes and and Kath, you could just tell that Catherine hunt had so much fun doing this show and i think that's she's why she's eating it up yeah <laughs> she's she's having the time of her life because yeah elizabeth olsen gets to do all this stuff but she's doing it right right back and she's playing a character playing a character in a sense and uh all the all of those little moments like you said her her acting to vision you know basically like seeing her pull back and she's in the director's chair during the Agatha all along montage and and then the oh and I killed Sparky too all of that (laughs) was so good just uh, uh, they really like for the big villain reveal they gave you like oh you want a villain well she's gonna chew the scenery and she's gonna be the 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 wicked witch of the west and she's gonna just chew up all of the scenery for you guys and I, I loved every second of it you touched on um, episode eight being the favorite episode, and that's where we get a lot of Agatha. So yeah. I love that we see her um, backstory in the Salem Witch Trials. And I've always thought absorbing other people's power is such a unique and cool power to have, especially for your villain. The motivations there is that she's just power hungry. She just wants to have the most power, the most knowledge, yeah. and just be a dominant force for her in game. Very, I guess that's where I see the Loki parallels. Yeah. In, in a sense. It's not brawn, it's the brain and it's the power-hungry Slytherin vibe of it all, if you will. Yes. <laughs> but also we get to see how just callous she is when we see Wanda on the stage and she's sitting in the audience and she just gives the slow clap and she's so blunt with what she's saying when they're going through all the um, history of it all because she is, she's like twisting the knife a little bit, a little bit, trying to push her because what's your secret, sister? Only Catherine Hahn can deliver lines like that, which is why I was so happy they had her. In episode eight, when like 
in in my in my favorite scene the the what is grief scene when she like f- pretends to flick off a tear yeah it's like oh my god she's so evil but in the best ways possible and it, it, it's cool to kind of see her interactions with Wanda once like the facade is over because in the comic books Agatha is a kind of a rough around the edges teacher of witchcraft to Wanda she kind of helps her hone her her abilities in the comic books and she kind of does that in this series but in a way like mm-hmm. Wanda learns by watching her instead of her being taught by her so in, in a way she does also teach Wanda witchcraft in this series, just not in the way that they do in the comic books. So that, that was a cute little homage. Uh, and I really liked seeing that because it was a way to really incorporate what was before, but make it new and different and make it work in the MCU. I love when you're telling a character's uh, story and development through wardrobe and costuming. But so you really do see the flip when we get to see Agatha Harkness to Agnes. It's not that polished, neighborly look. They go wild with their hair and makeup. Yeah. And I do like that you've seen her brooch. She's worn her brooch in every episode, in every iteration. So there's through line there. But And then at the end, of course, we see she gets a, a comeuppance, I guess, a little bit from Wanda where now she's just Agatha, Agnes, the nosy neighbor forever. And I like that we haven't killed her off because that's been one of the other complaints in the MCU yes. is that we get a good villain like Killmonger and we're never going to be able to see them again possibly. So to know that Agatha's sitting there waiting, that's interesting. Just leaving that that thread dangling just a little bit. Yeah, and I and like you said, I think that isn't that is an old way of thinking with the MCU villains because I think phase four is giving us not only some of the best villains, but they're they're sticking around. Like like mm. we're 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 keeping them because Baron Baron Zemo is what, one of my favorite villains in the MCU, and the fact that he came back for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they made him even more comic booky, I, I really love that. And then you have you know No Way Home, which introduced uh, which brought back a lot of old villains, and so the past couple of movies, and I think, t- and especially the Disney Plus shows, because you had, you know, we've had uh, the tracksuit mafia in Hawkeye, mm-hmm. which I thought were great. And then of course, you know, I don't want to spoil Hawkeye, but there's, there's a villain there that I really like in Hawkeye. <laughs> and you had Agatha in WandaVision and you have Zemo and you have like characters like us agent in Falcon and the winter soldier. So yeah. I, I think that they're really working on the villain problem. And I think we're starting to learn from our mistakes and they're trying to be a lot more nuanced and interesting with how, because if you watch the Eternals, the Eternals has a really interesting take on, a villain story and i think that's that's something different and i like that they're trying new things and i think that all stemmed from wandavision this was this was the point where they're like no we're gonna do things like this now we're gonna get weird we're not gonna afraid to be weird and try new things and try different things and if you like it you like it and if you don't like it you don't like it practically perfect in every way i think the way i describe phase four to everyone is Listen, it's like going to a comic book shop and you, you take you take the issues you want to read that week and you bring them home and you read them. And, you, and if you like them, you keep reading the series. And if you don't, you don't keep reading the series. That's what phase four is. If you like it, you really like it. If you don't like it, then, hey, there's dozens of other things for you to really enjoy, you know, so kind of take your pick. But the the thing to take away from it is we're trying new things and we're experimenting and we're not being a, and we're and we're taking that criticism that everyone had that. Marvel is a factory. It's a conveyor belt. It's a movie making machine. And we're, we're destroying that. And we're saying, no, we're, and it all stems, I think from the nexus point, which is WandaVision. 
Oh, God, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up an episode of WandaVision. That was poetic. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute blast to really break down this series. Where can people find you? You guys can find me on YouTube at The Montyverse and on all of the socials at The Montyverse everywhere. And we will see you all next time. And when you come to the end, (laughs) stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. See you next time.